basing uh, some of the big questions on passages from the book of Ecclesiastes. Because, uh, you know, God is never put off by our questions, I, I have to say to you. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of people who are cynical about Christian faith and skeptical about Christian faith. And, and those who really take an honest look at the Bible, frankly, it surprises them that there's a book like Ecclesiastes, like the book of Job, like some of the Psalms, where the authors ask some big, big questions about life. And Ecclesiastes is one of those. And so we're looking uh, in this series at some of the big questions. Last week we looked at, you know, what's, what's really worth doing? We looked at the, the question of achievement. I want to talk with you today really about the issue of our identity. Years ago, I came across this interesting story. Listen, a high-ranking naval officer had a reputation as a great skipper, one of the finest commanders at sea. A younger officer was assigned to his ship as a lieutenant, and he carefully studied his commanding officer for keys to his success. He noticed that the commander had a peculiar habit that made him increasingly curious. Every morning when the commander came to the ship's bridge, he'd walk to a locked drawer, use his private key to open it, and draw out a small piece of paper which he would study intently for a few seconds before returning it to the drawer and locking it. This was his daily routine and was a continual source of curiosity and speculation in the mind of the young lieutenant. Was it a passage of scripture that he was reading? Was it some inspiring leadership quote? Well, a couple of years later, the commander retired and the lieutenant was promoted ship's captain. Upon receiving the commander's set of keys, the new captain wasted no time in going to the ship's bridge, unlocking the drawer, and discovering what exactly the commander had been studying so intently every day. The piece of paper had only one sentence that read, port is on the left side of the ship, starboard is on the right side of the ship. Now I'll tell you what, there are some things that we do have to keep straight if we're gonna navigate life successfully. And I wanna talk with you today about what's worth always remembering. What's worth always remembering? And I encourage you, if you've got your message notes, to look at what's, what uh, Solomon says about that in uh, chapter 11. In fact, I'm gonna pull some verses out of chapter 11 and chapter 12, and that's what we wanna make the focus on today. Solomon says this, life is sweet, light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let him enjoy them all. You who are young, be happy while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And then he goes on in Chapter 12, verse 1, to say this, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. He's talking there about the day of our death. And then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. In other words, he says, because the day's gonna come when you're not gonna have any more sunlight. You're not going to live in this world any longer. 
Death will come to you as surely as it does everyone else. And then he says this, remember him. Notice twice now he said that. Remember your creator. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered. These are poetic euphemisms for what death is. And the wheel is uh, broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And then I want to, the very closing verses of this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, now all has been heard and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or it's evil. I want to talk to you today about what's always worth remembering because it has to do with the critical, the critical truth of our sense of identity. And one of the things that Solomon says here is he says that in your, in your living, make sure that, that you're remembering the Lord. See, uh, Solomon is, is talking in the book about what he calls living under the sun. And he says it's a futile way of living. And I want to remind you, Pastor Shane did a great way, a, a great job of introducing this last week, that to live under the sun means that it's living with no reference point beyond the now. And in Ecclesiastes, 27 times, Solomon uses this phrase, living under the sun, living under the sun. And what's interesting is that, is, as he's saying that, you know, when you live as if there is no reference point beyond the now, beyond the today, there is no eternity, there is no heaven, there is no hell. It's what John Lennon was singing about in his song, Imagine. It's called existentialism. And what's interesting is that Solomon just, he keeps coming back to God because you see he grew up from a faith perspective and then he wandered away from it like a lot of people do. And he could never get away from the fact that he had to think about God. And so he advises in his book, remember God, don't forget him. Remember the Lord Keep your mind on him. Because life doesn't make sense. In fact, it seems pretty empty. That's what he says over and over and over again when we just live under the sun as if there's no other reference point. Now, there's a famous existentialist philosopher named Jean-Paul Sartre who, who said the same thing. In fact, uh, he said that if God does not exist, we find no values or commands to turn to. We have no excuses behind us for our behavior, in other words, and no justification before us that we should live a certain way. We are alone with no excuses. And what he means by that is we're on our own to decide what life is really all about. And what Solomon is saying is, you're never gonna find life to be fulfilling when you just live it under the sun with that reference point. And, you know, some people, frankly, don't like that the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible because, I mean, Solomon just is so, it's like he's a super downer as you're reading it. Have you noticed that if you've been reading through it between our services uh, the last couple weeks? 
And it's like, man, we're all trying to get it together, and Solomon's down in the basement digging holes, you know? I mean, it's, he's like, he's, he's down. But I, I would just encourage you to Google Jean, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's book, Quotes from Nausea. It's the name of one of his, uh, one of his books. And he sounds an awful lot like Solomon does. Because what he's saying is, apart from God, under the sun, you won't find much fulfillment. In fact, last week, Pastor Shane talked to us about how Solomon tried to fill up his, his need in life through achievement. In fact, uh, this isn't on your notes, but, these, uh, but these, uh, this screen is coming up that you can see it right here. If you'll go to that next screen of Ecclesiastes 2, he says, man, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of trees. I made reservoirs. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And then he goes on and he says this, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings. I acquired men and women singers for entertainment. There was a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Now, here's what he says though was so empty about it. I got all of that and it just seemed meaningless to me. See, Solomon was the epitome of falling for this false notion of where we get our sense of identity. In fact, would you just write this down, and it's this. If I can achieve more, acquire more, and experience more, I'll be more. The whole idea here is that, well, if I can just out-achieve everybody else, if I can acquire more than anybody else, if I can show how distinctive I am, it will prove that I'm somebody. And there are a lot of people who are driven by this deep need for a sense of identity. And that's one of the things Solomon is struggling with in thinking about just doing life under the sun with no reference point beyond this life. Ecclesiastes 2.11, notice he says this, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, And what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained. Notice that phrase, under the sun. If if I could say it with a modern vernacular, been there, done that, now what? Because you see what what, uh, Pastor Shane pointed out last week is Solomon had discovered that success and achievement failed to deliver what it promises. One time Elvis Presley in an interview said to somebody, they they said, well, how does it feel to be the king? And in an unguarded statement, he said, well, if I'm so successful, why do I feel so alone? Well, it's the same thing Solomon says. It can't fill up the need that we have inside. In fact, when we live this way, we're following a a flawed formula. Do you see that on your notes there? Here's the formula. P plus A equals S. Now I've talked with you about this before and this this is so true because you know the reality is we grow up and we develop our sense of identity from external sources. In fact, I'm convinced we were created to receive a sense of identity from sources outside of ourselves. But here's the way that we add this up. Here's here's the values. P has to do with your performance. 
And so in other words, kind of like Solomon, if I do uh, you know, some, something great, something that stands out from other people and I, and I do it in a, in a way that hasn't been done by anybody else, uh, man, you know, that's, that's part of how I develop my unique identity. The A is the word approval. Because it doesn't matter how great we do unless other people notice it, right? Unless other people say, wow, you're the king, or wow, you do that so well. So performance plus approval, that I get thumbs up from somebody. And see, here's the crazy thing, is that we grow up and very subtly we get messages from our parents and from our teachers and from the world around us, the the external sources that should help us understand our real identity subtly begin to give us this message that I love you if, or I love you when, or I love you because, or I love you until. And so our sense of identity becomes very, very dependent on other people and their approval. And what that leads us to then is S, and that's the word significance. And so what we have this idea is that, well, my significance comes from my ability to perform and be approved by other people. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is that when you base your sense of self on that, it's going to rise and fall like the tides. In fact, you're, you'll only be as good as your last performance. You'll only be as good as the approval that you get from others. In fact, that's why the disapproval of somebody can can completely knock you off your pedestal. In fact, uh, the dean of American sociology, a man named Charles Corley, summed it up this way. I think this is really true. He said, your self-concept comes from what you think the most important person in your life thinks of you. And I think he's right. In fact, I think we were created to gain our sense of identity externally from, from those around us. And while I think he's right, our self-concept comes from what you think the most important person in your life thinks of you. It's why it underscores the most important person in your life needs to be the Lord. In fact, God designed us that, that our parents and our peers and life around us is supposed to reflect the truth of what he says about our identity. And this is why Solomon says, in all of your searching for identity, remember your creator. Now, in the moments we have left, let me show you how God makes the difference in this area. Why Solomon says twice, remember him. And then he says again, realize when it's all said and done, the whole purpose of man is to have reverence for God. It's what it means to fear him and to obey him. First of all, one of the three reasons I want to give, the first is this, he defines our truest distinction as persons. He says, remember your creator. And what he means by that is understand that you've been made by him and you were made, in fact, in his image. And the reality is we all define ourselves in, in different ways. In fact, we kind of wear tags that identify who we are. If I were to say, well, who are you? More than likely, 
you, you would probably tell me your profession. That's one of the tags that we wear. And we, we wear other tags, you know. Uh, I'm a male, I'm a female, or my sexual orientation is something I'm confused about and uncertain about. Or uh, I'm an African-American, or I'm an Asian, or I'm Caucasian, or whatever your ethnicity might be. We, we use things like our citizenship status or our political affiliations. And I'm a homeless person, or I'm a rich person, or I'm a poor person, or I'm a middle class person. And what I'm saying is, all these tags, my friend, all of them, with the exception of maybe one or two, are going to be absolutely meaningless one second after you've taken your last breath. And so that's why Solomon says, you want to make sure you get the real tag. And you need to understand that no person or affiliation or group or achievement holds the key to your true identity. Your true identity is based on your creator. Remember your creator. 1 John 3, 1 is a great verse. In fact, would you read this aloud with me? It's been a, it's been a whole year since we've been inside a building that we could read a scripture together. Could we do that? That's going to give me goosebumps to hear you read with me. So let's read it with gusto. One, two, three. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. See, God says, I want you to understand that your identity really is something intrinsic to who you are because I created you. Now, I got to thinking about that, and you know, a couple weeks ago, I'm holding in my hand here a $100 bill, and I know you may not believe that, so I took a picture of it just so you could uh, see that, indeed, I, I have a Benjamin. Uh, I have to tell you, I don't carry $100 bills around too often, all right, uh, but somebody paid me for something I did the other day, and they paid me with a $100 bill, and I thought, wow, that's cool, and, and uh, I hadn't put this in the bank yet and I got to thinking about this and, and I realized you know that this hundred dollar bill if I had it this morning and I was holding it here and talking to you about it and then I crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage can over there some of you would go to the garbage can after church wouldn't you because it doesn't matter how crumpled it up it doesn't matter if I if I run it through the mud outside it has intrinsic value for how it was created and this Benjamin would be something of worth and value to, to, to you. Now, there are nine statements I want you, we have, a few minutes ago we sang, I am who, I, who you say I am. What does scripture say? When we remember the Lord, what does he want us to remember? Here's the first one, I'm a child of the king. That that's my truest distinction. It's not my color, it's not my position, my status, it's not my performance. It's that I was created by Almighty God, and I belong to him. Now, a few years ago, by the way, we did a series called Identity Theft, and in it, we gave you, I, I thought it might be valuable to just trot this out again. There's a circle at the end of your notes that has a little diagram in it. You might want to see this and take a moment and, uh, and uh, fill this in because it really, uh, it's important to our, our whole sense of identity, if you will, uh, it, it's, it's what gives us a sense of security in our identity. It's what gives us a sense of significance. If you will, these are the components that make up our identity and give us that sense of security and significance. And the first one that I want to emphasize is this, and that is 
our core sense of self. Our core sense of self. That's where, it's, that's where it has to begin, that I'm created by God. I'm a child of the king. I remember back in the 90s, I came across this verse, and it spoke to me so powerfully as a young parent at that time. And it was just God spoke it into my heart. Look at it, Proverbs 14, 26, that says this, reverence for the Lord gives confidence and security to a man and his family. Now what's interesting is that Solomon had grown up in the home of a, a king named David. And David emphasized this truth over and over and over again, that the Lord's love, he called it his unfailing love, the Lord's love was the source of his confidence and his security. In one passage, David says, you're my hope, Lord God, my confidence from my youth, I have leaned on you since my birth. And the Apostle Paul one time said it so well when he talked about the God whose I am and whom I serve. And there's something about understanding that your truest distinction, my friend, as a person comes from knowing the Lord. And one of the jobs that we've got to do, by the way, as parents is, is helping for our kids to get that sense that, you know what, you were, you were made in the image of God. And the Lord loves you, and he doesn't love you if you do something. He doesn't love you when you do something. He doesn't love you because you do something. He doesn't love you until you, you know, stop being lovable. He loves you because of who he is, and you're made in his image. And of course, our goal, Isaiah 54, 13, for our kids, why it gives them confidence and security, is that your children will be taught by the Lord, Isaiah says, and they will have much peace. Isn't that a great verse? And that word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, and it, and it means a sense of well-being, a sense of tranquility, a sense of security. That when we know God's love and when we realize that our identity is tied to who he is as our creator, we're laying a foundation for our kids that's so powerful. By the way, that, I'm so excited about, you know, just hearing about Summer Extreme Days is coming. One of the things that North Point Kids, our kids' ministry, as we're reopening now, is they're starting classes up again, and there's still a tremendous need for people to step up and help us with some of those classes. Maybe if that's something that would appeal to you, you could write that on your connection card today, or you could uh, email us, North Point Kids, at... Uh, uh, northpoint.org, kids at northpoint.org, and just let them know, man, I'm, I'm interested in knowing about that. In fact, on your notes, I've, I've actually given you a, a, a sources of uh, resources here that, that uh, Pastor Travis gave me about how we help our kids with this sense of identity to remember they're created in the image of God. He gives us our truest, defining for us, our truest Distinction. Second, he offers the soundest direction for living. In fact, Solomon, as he wraps up this book where he asks all these big questions, and he talks about life under the sun, he says, well, here's, here's the end of the matter, that you ought to fear God and keep his commandments, because this is the purpose for living. Now, I want to say there are so many voices out there that are vying for your attention to try to tell you who you are, to try to tell you how to think and how to feel and how you should live. And God says, but I want you to listen to my voice 
because my voice can be trusted. I'm reminded of the story of a little girl who uh, was sitting at the kitchen table and she happened to notice a, a, a little tube of chapstick that was sitting on the table and she picked it up and just as she picked it up and started to pull the top off, her mom saw her and said, honey, don't play with that, put that down. And uh, well, uh, she set it down, but then mom turned her back and she'd watched mom put chapstick on, she'd put it on her and so she picked it up and, and, uh, and mom turned around again and said, honey, I told you not to play with that. You put that down and the little girl defiantly pulled the top off and started putting it around her lips only to realize that it tasted terrible because it was glue stick, not chapstick. Now, when God tells us don't do something, it's because he really, God's no is always a yes for us. It's always because he wants to protect us and provide for us. And God is the one who gives us the soundest directions for living. In fact, we talked about existentialism. It's really, it's really what the book of Ecclesiastes is. There are certain existential questions. Who am I? And where did I come from? And why am I here? And where am I going? And you see, God in his word, I think, gives the only satisfying answers to those questions. He gives us the soundest direction for living. Romans 5, 2 says this, because of our faith, he's brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to actually becoming all that God has had in mind for us to be. A man had planted a vegetable garden and was showing it to his friend, and his friend noticed that throughout the vegetable garden there were these sticks with these pictures of all these different vegetables, a head of lettuce and, you know, tomato plants and, and uh, you know, some watermelon. And, and he said, oh, did, did you put those pictures up so that it would remind you what it was you planted there? And, and the guy said, no, 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 I put it there so that as the plants begin to grow, they can look up and see what it is they're supposed to become. Well, I want to tell you that God wants you to understand what it, he has in mind that you and I should be. Because the problem is, you see, we know that our performance hasn't always been so great. And we haven't always been approved of. And often we don't even approve of ourselves. And he says, but I want you to understand that your identity is based on who I am, not on who you are. It's who you are in, in light of who I am. And one of the things that God's wanting us to remember, if you'll write this down, I'm damaged, but still deliverable. Now, I take that little phrase from a Christian author and speaker named Barbara Johnson, who one day got a package at her home. She'd ordered some videotapes from something. Remember the days of videotapes? And, and, you know, the box finally arrived, but it was all beat up and torn up, and someone literally had taken saran wrap and put it all the way around the box to just hold it together. And she noticed that the courier service, the man was standing there with it, that the courier service on the top had stamped it damaged but still deliverable. And she said, I realize that that's, that's true of my own life. And friend, I want to say that that's true of your life. That God says, no matter what a mess you may have made of things, he says, if you'll look to me and listen to me and bring your life in alignment with me, I can help you become all that I've had in mind for you to be. I'm damaged, but I'm deliverable. Here's a third reason why this is so important. He defines my truest distinction. He offers the soundest direction. He supplies the deepest validation possible. 
And I, I want to say to you that my sense of significance and your sense of significance and identity is meant to be met by him. And there's no greater source for that. In fact, if I could go back to my circle diagram for a moment and, and, and just show you another component of this, this thing of feeling validation that it has to do with my core sense of self, but it also has to do with my core sense of worth. And God says, I want you to understand just what you are worth to me. In fact, there, there are seven more I am's. Can I just finish up by hitting those with you? Let's, let's, let's hit these. Write them down. Number one, I'm uniquely planned. And what that means is that in all of history, there's no one else exactly like you. You are one of a kind, and friend, God broke the mold when he made you. Nobody else has your fingerprints. Nobody else has your DNA. In fact, the other day I was reading and someone was, uh, was asking a specialist in this area, what are the odds that somebody else on the planet could actually have the exact DNA that I have? And here's the way he put it. The odds would be the same of you taking a coin and flipping it and having it coming up heads 6.4 million times in a row. <laughs> That's the odds you'd have to beat in order to find someone else just like you. Friend, there's only one of you. You are uniquely planned. Number two, I'm deeply loved. I'm deeply loved. Now listen, you're unique, and God only made one of you because he wanted to love you uniquely. And he wanted you to love him back. In fact, no one else can offer him back what only you can offer him because there's only one of you. And God says, I want you to understand how much I love you and how much I want you to love me. 1 John 4, 10 and 16. Look at this great verse. This is love, not that we love God, but notice who started the whole thing. He loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. You know, one of the interesting things, I encourage you to take some time and Google this. Google something called the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. Celebrities often feel this. In fact, it'll be interesting to you. If you'll Google it, you'll find up will come the faces of some celebrities that you know. And, and, and they've all admitted that they've suffered from this something called the imposter syndrome. And it's the idea that once I've performed and everybody approves of me and I've based my significance on that, inside I feel like I'm an imposter that if they really knew who I really was on the inside, they wouldn't admire me so much. And they say, I feel like a fake. I feel like I'm gonna be found out, like the jig's gonna be up. I feel like an imposter. Well, friend, here's the good thing God says. I want you to get this. I know everything about you, and I still love you. It's not I love you if. It's not I love you when. It isn't I love you because. It isn't I love you until. It's I love you, period. And this is love, that we're loved by God. Now remember, 
Your self-concept's gonna come from what you think the most important person in your life thinks of you. That's why we know and rely on his love. Number three, I'm highly valued. I'm highly valued. In fact, he loves me so much that he sent his son to come into the world to be a sacrifice for my sins, to lay down his life on a cross so that I could be forgiven and belong to him forever. I'm highly valued. You know, I, I was reminded this week of a, a story in 1987 about a guy named Gregory Robinson who uh, is a, a professional uh, skydiving uh, coach and assistant, and just south of Phoenix, he followed six other people out of an airplane, and uh, uh, like you've seen them do, the plan was for them to, you know, as they were flying down, falling toward Earth as skydivers, to gather in a circle. They jumped at 13,000 feet, and they were supposed to gather at about 10,000 feet. And he was watching from above them as they came together, except one of them, a woman named Debbie Williams, 31-year-old school teacher. She'd had experience, 50 jumps that she had made. But something went wrong, and as they were coming together, she collided with somebody else and was knocked unconscious. And he noticed that she turned onto her back, and she just began to spin as she began to fall toward earth, putting himself into a, almost like a bullet, he headed straight down after, after her, and at 200 miles per hour over the next 6,000 feet, he managed to catch up with her, and at 3,500 feet, flipped her into a sitting position and pulled her ripcord at 2,700 feet, and then was able to pull his own chute cord at about 2,000 feet, and 10 seconds later, he landed on the ground. Now, she survived. She had some fractures and all that kind of stuff because she was still unconscious and didn't land properly. But my goodness, I, I thought about the fact that that guy, it, it's almost as if he didn't even consider his own life important to put himself in such a dangerous hurtling position toward earth to try and save her. And see, what God is saying is that Jesus Christ descended from heaven knowing the full impact that he would absorb for you and me. Friend, you and I, we're highly valued. By the way, here's a recent picture of Gregory Robinson and uh, Debbie Williams. And, uh, I, you know, one of the things I'd love to know is I wonder if she ever went skydiving again. And uh, we are highly valued. Next, I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. He is the atoning sacrifice that God says, you are completely forgiven, totally forgiven. Ephesians 1.4 says this. Look at this great verse. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. Now, friend, I want to just say to you, there's nothing that can make up for your sense of shame. There's nothing that can overcome that sense inside that says, you know, if other people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't love me. And that need to hide the, the realize, nothing can take that away like the love of God and the blood of Christ. Number five, I'm permanently accepted. 
I'm permanently accepted. A moment ago, we read from Romans 5 that it says, he's brought us into a place of highest privilege where we now stand. Because once God has forgiven us and accepted us in Christ, we are permanently accepted by him. See, this is what's so different from this fatal formula that we live by, that my performance and the approval of others is where I find my significance. That's how you're going to try to live under the sun. And he says, I, I want you to understand Proverbs 29, 25. In fact, Solomon is the one who gives us this proverb. The fear of human opinion disables, but trusting God protects you from that. And why does it disable us to live in the fear of opinions of others? Well, because frankly, there are other people that are harder to please than God is. Have you noticed that? I mean, there's always going to be those Simon Cowles in your life, you know, that want to judge you and be critical of you. And, and, uh, and, and he says, but when you fear that, it's going to disable you. But that's why you've got to remember the Lord and why you've got to trust him. 2 Corinthians 10.18 says, you may brag about yourself. You may pull off some great performance. But the only approval that counts is the Lord's approval. By the way, here's a question I would ask you. Whose opinion really does matter the most in your life? Who is it that you're most concerned about trying to impress? God says, it's only my approval that really matters. And Jesus says this, how on earth can you believe while you're forever looking for each other's approval and not for the glory that comes from the one God. Now, I just have to make a confession to you here. I don't want to appear to be an imposter. I mean, I would love to say to you that it really doesn't matter to me what other people think about me. That's not true. It does matter to me. But I can honestly say this, it doesn't matter as much as what God thinks about me and it doesn't matter enough to derail God's purposes and his approval in my life. Because when you remember the Lord and you trust him, it gives confidence and security to you. The last two things, if you write this down, I'm mightily equipped. I'm mightily equipped. See, God not only has accepted me, but he's invested in my ability to actually become what he's had in mind that I become, that I have the power to be what it is he wants me to be. I'm mightily equipped. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says this, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Man, that's a great truth to remember. It's God who helps you learn to stand firm and stand strong. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. See, God says, in, in fact, you know that formula, you know the P plus A equals S? You know what God does? He actually flips that around. And God says, now what I want you to understand is based on who you are, your real significance, and based on my approval and my acceptance of you, that can perform, that can lead you to a performance to P squared, exponential performance, because I've invested in you. I'm mightily equipped. And then finally, I'm magnificently destined. He said, in fact, he's gonna guarantee 
what's to come, that he has a place for me and eternity in mind for me. See, God wants you to come to know him, my friend, under the sun because there's going to come a day with the, when the sun's no longer going to shine. But God says, but I want you to be with me forever because I've made you to be a part of my forever family. And I'm magnificently destined. And if I could just finish off the circle, see, that's where we finish up. It's that core sense of destiny that God has given us. The sense of self, who we are, the sense of our worth, that I'm highly loved by God, and our core sense of destiny, that God has a future for me. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and then I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, friend, let me tell you, there's no club that you can join. There's no achievement you can pull off. There's no chemical you consume, can consume. There's no thrill you can chase that will help you to feel a sense of validation like what we've just looked at together of who God says he intends for you to be. In fact, a few years ago, if you'd like to get a copy of this, we actually produced a card that has some of these I am's on it and has this little diagram on it. And if you'd like, we'll be happy to send you a nice shiny printed copy if you want to just uh, put that on your connection card today or just email Pastor Steve at northpoint.org uh, and just tell us. I'd like for you to mail that. Or we can send you a, a, a PDF of this and you can print out your own copy. And then what I'd suggest is that you put it in a drawer somewhere and every day you take it out and you study it for just a few minutes and you remember what matters most in navigating life. Bow with me for a word of prayer, will you? Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can know who we are when we know who you are. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for all that you've done to make us know that we're loved and we can be forgiven and you have a destiny in mind, and you want to equip us all the things that we've talked about today, Lord. And so in the quietness of this moment, with our focus on you, we want to invite you to come please have your rightful place at the center of our life. Realign our lives to be the way they need to be. Forgive us, cleanse us as you've promised that you can do. And make us the people you want us to be and we'll follow you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.